Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I've got one of my faves in the industry in front of me right now. Um, John Hogan and I met for the first time in, I'm going to say Amsterdam. Do you say that, John? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was at the World Marina's Conference presenting at that quite a number of years ago, about 2018 or something like that, yeah. I think it was, or maybe in two, 2016. And um, John was there and we met on a barge in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. so John Hogan of Superior Jetties, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nikki. It's nice to have you here. Now, I've known you for a while, but what I love doing about this podcast is that I actually get to know you a lot better because I'd probably ask you a lot of questions that I wouldn't normally ask you. So um, let's start with you as a person. Where were you born and where did your life begin? Uh, I was born in a flood uh, (laughs) (laughs) in 1958 in uh, Mackay. And uh, the Marta Hospital there, uh, the story has it that Dad had to come and visit by boat because there was so much water in the streets. So um, I guess the boating started right there at birth. <laughs> <laughs> and you you obviously from intrinsically from a baby decided to um, build things that get you on top of water. <laughs> Not always. Like as kids it was always fun. We grew up on a sugarcane farm west of Mackay and we'd um, – have tin canoes. So it was a piece of custom orb that was folded around a, a pine transom and a piece of a two by one in the front, which was the bow, was nailed together and tarred and it kept some of the water out but it also would cut you. <laughs> but they were um, amazing canoes. They were yeah. very light and fast. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So on a sugar cane farm. Correct. Ca- cattle and cane. Okay. Cattle and cane. Yep. Okay. So how big was that? Uh, like the industry's changed now, but it was family farms. We were about 750 acres. Oh, only and, 750 acres. Okay. And like <laughs> most of that was cattle, like in the wilds and the rough gullies and stuff. And then on the more fertile plains is where you did the agriculture and grew cane. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So that's where you grew, grew up. How were you? How long were you there? Um, I lived there until I was 25. Okay. So I went to school at Morani Primary School. I went to Morani High School. I was a school captain of Morani High School. Excellent. And um, then I was an exchange student to America for a year. I lived with a family over there. 
came home and should have gone to uni but decided to go backpacking in Europe instead. Oh, <laughs> you revel you. And uh, then all of a sudden I found myself married with two kids and um, I took an adult apprenticeship because um, the family farm wasn't going to support two families, uh-huh. wasn't big enough. And so we decided to go and join Mount Isa Mines in the 80s had started a new um, coal mining division mm-hmm. and Newlands Coal were employing apprentices. So uh, I'm always very grateful to Mount Isa Mines because taking on an adult apprentice was a second chance at a career. And um, they're wonderful people. They also supported me through doing um, an associate diploma in mechanical engineering and a business degree. So for my sins, uh, I studied at night for eight years to get the qualifications I thought I needed to build a new career. Wow, so you're working full-time and you're studying in the evening as well. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's full on. Uh, were the family at that time as well? Or? Yeah, the boys were little. Yeah. Yeah, they were, uh, oh, when I started, they were one and two. Gosh. So it was... Uh, it was just part of life and uh, I figured living in a mining town, it was a good thing to do and, and particularly, you know, I was fourth generation farmer so that was always, I thought, what would be my career and I think when you have to give up something and start, start anew, there's a certain passion to want to um, achieve something and, and I always felt that uh, I was always passionate about building things and that's why I chose boilermaking because you make things with your hands. Yeah. It's very rewarding. Yeah. Okay. So you're boilermaking, you're in Far North Queensland. Um, where did you go from there? Um, when the boys were about six or seven, we decided education-wise we should uh, leave the mining town, even though the money was good. We were both working. We moved to Brisbane just for a better education, better schools, and make sure that they had the the best that life could offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I ended up in the concrete industry with Pioneer in their roof tile division and then their concrete block division. And um, Jackie was uh, working in HR and it was an American company called Arco and um, they transferred her to Denver in the US. Oh. So... Um, I became a trailing spouse and uh, followed to Denver. And uh, that turned out to be a, a real family adventure. Went for two years, stayed for 10. Oh, my goodness. So, I didn't know that. There yeah. you go. Yep. <gasps> but it, I think sometimes you've just got to trust and take the leap in your career. People would say, oh, you're lucky. It's, it's not all luck. I think sometimes you've got to be a little bit brave as well. Mm. When it's particularly when it's the unknown, and so we went from two wages to one, but it was an expat package, so it was fine. Uh, and I was going to go to uni because there was I wasn't allowed to work. But once I got there, there was an Australian software company called Mincom that really wanted people with mining experience to be their consultants, and I had that experience, so they got me the visa, and I ended up working within a year. There you go. So it turned into something we never could have expected and that was consulting all over North America uh, on 
projects in mining, defence, transportation and utilities. So I actually lived in Hawaii for a while. And oh, nice. Had to help HECO, Hawaiian Electric, put their new information system in. Wow. So your boys were actually primary school educated in the US? Um, no, in Brisbane they were... Yeah, all primary was in Australia. Yeah. And then they were just going into high school when we went to the States. Okay. Probably not the best time to move your kids around the world. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting. There was never a dull moment. <laughs> Fair enough. And so you're working in the US. You're both working in the US. Yep. We did that. Then Arco sold to BP. So we could have come home or get demobbed in. The US, so we took the second option. Okay. And I went back into concrete blocks in uh, Minneapolis. Wow. With the Anchor Block Company. Okay. And uh, did that. And that was really good because it taught a lot about working with industry organizations. And um, that is what I apply today in the marine industry in Australia. A lot of what I learned about customer service and um, particularly collaborating with all of the other stakeholders in the industry, uh, suppliers, customers, competitors, industry organisations. And uh, I've, I've learned a lot of that in the US that I've, I've brought directly to Australia when we came home and uh, bought Superior Jetties. Okay. So you came home and you bought Superior Jetties. Why did you pick Superior Jetties? <laughs> Midlife crisis. <laughs> Most of us pick a Mustang or something yeah, like that, exactly. right? I mean, could have been a red convertible. I bought some very jetties. <laughs> Did you have? You, I mean, you hadn't had any experience in the marina space at that point, then. Zero, and uh, sold everything I owned, bet it all on red. Wow! Changed countries at the same time. Um, when I look back on it, way too much risk, and I wasn't even sure it would work. Um, because I'd never, I'd worked for larger companies. I hadn't been in business myself. Um, but I think that also makes you, when you're young, I think you're fearless. Yes. You know, you've got plenty of career time ahead of you. You can crash a few times and you'll be fine. Mm. But I felt like it was last roll of the dice. It had to work. And I actually went and bought the small business for dummies. You know, those red and oh, black yeah, yeah. books? Yep. Yep, the I, bought ones. Yeah. I bought the little yellow and red book yeah. and I got a highlight pen yeah. and I went through it and I highlighted all of the things they said, never forget this, make sure you do this, was how to start a business. Wow. And I was dedicated. Like I, I, was, um, I was determined not to fail. And uh, that was actually tried two weeks after the purchase of the business, I was driving to work and I heard on the radio there was a fire in a plastic factory. And oh, no. I thought, hmm, that's funny. I've got a plastic factory in Mullandina. <gasps> I came over the hill and he's pall of black smoke and TV cameras and no. um, it burnt down. <gasps> so um, it took us five weeks. We put a lean-to up on the other shed around the corner yeah. and um, – Hauled the oven out of the smouldering mess, and five weeks later, we were moulding again. Wow! So it was. Uh, I think a lot of the old farming skills came to the fore. You know, it yeah. was that survival thing. Yeah. And um, it 
It's, uh, I think you need a lot of that in business. You've got to be resilient. When yes. things come along that you don't expect, it's not the end, you know. It's, you've just got to reset and mm-hmm. go again. Mm. And uh, I think over the years our team's been really good at that and it's part of our culture at Superior. Mm. Do you think that's the reasoning behind you? Because you innovate quite a lot, don't you? Yes, only half of them work. (laughs) (laughs) But that's business too, right? Yeah. I mean, we've got several things that we tried and went, yeah, that didn't work. But that that is small business. And if you don't try things, and sometimes they do go wrong, sometimes they don't even get off the ground and and all those sorts of things. So I think... um, it is a risk we take going into business and we do try things and they do go wrong and they do not work or whatever. But um, doesn't don't you think that gives you an edge as well because you are showing that innovation? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's important for you to permit yourself to fail and understand that that's just part of your journey and there's learnings that come from that. And those learnings... Yeah, it might have a financial hit or a, even a social public hit if you, you know, failed publicly. But you file that away and they come back years later. So we had, I remember one project we did in 2010 and it really didn't work and it was a new marina system. We thought it was going to be really cool and it wasn't. It was too expensive and it's funny, 10 years later, we had a problem and we went back to that project and went, let's get that little bit out of there and put it in here and it works now. Aha. So I think you, you're right. You, you do the same in your business. You're always innovating and, you know, I love what you're doing with the whole boat club thing for Australia. Like that's that's going to redefine the sector. Mm. And uh, We hope so. And <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Otherwise, I've got a lot of boats in my hands. <laughs> but what I love, and I, when I, you know, from that time in the US, it's uh, it's no longer really just boating; it's leisure, and it's you know, for for many people, it's, is it the caravan or the boat club? Yeah, and it's either or. We're not doing both. No. So <laughs> no, they actually tell us at Freedom Boat Club that we're not competing with boats. <laughs> purchases or, or boat sellers, we, we're, perch- we're competing for the leisure time. Yes. So exactly that, whether they decide to spend their money on skiing holidays overseas or cruises. Golf. Or golf or caravanning or boating. Yeah. So we're actually, we need to point out to them the benefits of boating very strongly because that is what we're actually selling. We're not selling boats at all. We're selling complete lifestyle the dream and that's what we try to do that in our business is very much focus on the individual even in the images that we use because i think our role in the marine industry very much is to maximize people's leisure time the blue mind maximize that by minimizing the, the logistics and if you always think that way you will be able to offer a product that people will not just want but love. Mm-hmm. So if you have a dry stack and you make sure the boat is clean and in the water and ready to go and provisioned and somebody can just walk down and leave, that has, you know, it's, it's like invaluable, mm, particularly when you push for time. 
And um, I was a boat club member in the US. Oh, were you? And um, that's how I started. It was uh, it was wonderful. It was on Lake Minnetonka. Yeah. Um, they had about forty boats to choose from, power and sail. Yeah. And we never even worked our way through them all. Like no. It was, uh, but you found a few favourites, and yes. that was what you went with. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good. So that's fan. actually how you got into boating, doing that, apart from the canoes up in Queensland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really happened um, when I was in Minnesota. Okay. Whenever we as humans have something taken away that we can't have, it's amazing how passionate you become to get that. Mm-hmm. So when the snow melts in Minnesota, the golfers come out and the boaters come out. So, you know, even when the ice is still little bits floating around in the lake, you'll see someone out there in April, May. Yeah. And they're dodging the ice flows. Yeah. <laughs> and so passionate boaties. Yeah. So I think we did boat club for two years and then my neighbour had a 50-foot sea ray and he loved jumping wakes on his jet ski so he wanted me to drive the boat for him. <laughs> so <laughs> so suddenly you were driving All of a sudden a I had a boat club and I'm driving a 50-footer every weekend. We go, <laughs> what have we got this membership for? When <laughs> Okay. So All that's right. where the marine bug really bit. It yeah. There's um, 10,000 lakes in Minnesota. Yeah. And it's people are passionate about their boating. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I, I kind of fell in love with it there. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, to do something around the water. And um, I read about Superior online in the Courier Mail. That, that it was for sale? Yes. Okay. And I was looking at a business in the US and I thought, oh, I'll just have a look at something at home and um, bought it, came over and checked it out. Wow. And then we all moved back one by one. Gosh. Yeah. So you've bought something you don't really know a lot about, am I right? Or do you know more about it than we think you do? Well, at its core it said that it had metal manufacturing. I'm a boilermaker. It has project management. I did that in the mines as well. Uh, and it had engineering, which I'm also, I know enough to be dangerous. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I mean safe. <laughs> and so um, I had elements of it from other industries, but not uh, my only experience in what we do now was really as a boater. Yeah. And I continued to do that. I, uh, I love the difference in visiting a marina by land in a car and arriving by water in a boat. Uh-huh. It's a totally different experience. Mm. And I think I've learnt more about product development from my time on the water. I remember very early on we used to build a hydrolift which had large floats on each side and Ron Del Bora gave me my first marina berth at uh, Mariner's Cove, I was in B23, right in front of Fisho's Pub oh, with a wonderful cross current that used to just rip through there in the afternoon. So on a Sunday afternoon when you're coming home and you're trying to line it up and you're tentatively putting it in and out of gear instead of just driving it in because you you know, don't know what you're doing and there's a 1,000 people behind you applauding as you finally get the boat in the slip. And you go, oh, this is a tough crowd. And I got in there and there were no cleats on the floats. <gasps> you had to get off, jump over the float and tie it up to the dock. Oh, no. And I remember thinking, what is this stupid product that doesn't have a cleat when I need it most? <laughs> 
Coming in Monday. We're putting cleats on. <laughs> Oh, so that's that's yeah, it's really valuable, isn't it? Being the actual boater and and then using your own product and recognizing where it's going wrong. Until you've been sort of stuck halfway in a slip and have the current or the wind push you over and have the side of your beautiful vessel scrape down the dock, and you're just counting the thousands of dollars as it happens. And telling people, I'd rather break the boat than you break an arm. Please don't put your hand out there. Uh, You've got to have lived that experience to understand let's make beautiful curved surfaces with no sharp edges. Yeah, yeah. And so then you try to do that and you try to take away maintenance and you try to take away corrosion and and you're just constantly trying to make it um, more sustainable and and more serviceable for people to have that... um, high enjoyment, low logistics formula Mm. that will make people stay in and love boating. Mm. Now you've used a word there that we might tap into, sustainable. Mm. I'm guessing your product has changed quite dramatically over the years um, in its production. Would that be right? Yes. Um, The baseline is still very much a a concrete decked product with an aluminium whaler, but that's What's a whaler? changing. Just explain to us. So the whalers are along the edges of any floating structure. You will have a, a piece of timber, or it'll have a soft fender on to that. Or we use a piece of aluminium with a clip-in soft fender PVC onto that. Or you can get the large soft fenders these days or defender, you want anything that just means that the boat will gradually slow down and you need space for that to happen. So force equals mass times acceleration. If you can decelerate that vessel, its force when it actually touches the dock will be much less and there'll be no damage. So that's what you've got to try to do. And because we have three manufacturing facilities, one is cast concrete, the second is fabricated aluminium and the third is plastic rotor moulding. So we use all of those processes in conjunction with each other to deliver the product, maybe two of them, maybe three of them. And that's what's changed over the years. When we did um, we did a, a text in around 2000, about 10 years ago, uh, called Sustainable Marina Development, and I wrote that with my co-author because I noticed in Asia there were so many people doing so many things that were not sustainable. Mm. And so we very much have applied that and we're still trying to do more of that with the product. After the Brisbane floods, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of talk about polystyrene Mm. in the waterways and that's, you know, it's, it's a wonder material to, you know, make the docks unsinkable which is better than having them all sunk in the bed of the river. True enough. But uh, when you've got logs coming down and impact, that's not good either. And so I found that I had to really look at what I wrote in the sustainability book and apply it, and we're still working on that. Mm. And some of that research from that failed project years ago, I believe, is going to help in this area. Mm. 
But your product is a very high quality product. So that in itself is a sustainability piece, right? Yes. Um, it's recyclable, what we use. Um, and ultimately, polystyrene is is the one that everyone's most concerned about because mm. it can end up in the marine environment and um, with terrible consequences that we don't even fully understand. And to remove that, you've then really got to use um, another way of either encapsulating so it can never be freed or you need to use air in modules just like uh, a boat uses section sectioning so that it's unsinkable. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately that's probably what will work. Mm-hmm. So run me through the process. Somebody comes to you and says, I want to expand my marina. Um, tell me how you start that path with them. Well, actually, we've got this written on the wall because uh, I think your brand values have to come to the fore. And we have four of them, trust, imaginative, personable and exceptional. And what using those four brand values, when we approach a potential client, we want to listen to what is their vision. And we then need to take that and be able to produce concepts that make that dream come true. And I think the the better you listen and the more you are connected into that dream and when they realise yes, you can deliver this, um, it, it actually is a, a wonderful process because it's, it becomes a shared dream, a shared vision, a shared achievement. And we always feel like we have an ownership of that long term. And I think some of the bonds that we've built, like Sanctuary Cove, for instance, building the architectural wonder of the roof structure in that marina was in many ways one of the more difficult things that we've done. But just as the Mulfa team are very proud of it, so are we. Mm. And and um, I just love it. Oh, it's great. I just love yeah. looking at um, silhouetted photographs and I've tried to get a drone to get just the right sunset and... I'll probably blow that up and put it on a wall or something. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> and it's very exciting for Steve, the marina major yeah. there, to have something so different. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It works so well. But, you know, you ask the question, what do you have to do? Marinas are very long, as you know, the approval process and everything. You, oh, you need to have lots me. of patience. And, <laughs> and lots of money. I don't, oh. know, I don't know how oh. you do it, to be honest. Yeah. But for us... That client comes along once every 25 years. Yes. And it might be five years before it happens. So that's what made it essential to us that we had other things to do because if you're just waiting around for that one, elephant hunting, then nothing, yeah. it becomes pretty much impossible to run a business and give people real careers. Yes. So then everybody has to be a contractor and then they're not really part of the team yeah. And you don't have that connection. So we have 60-odd people 
60. In, wow. On the Gold Coast. Um, we've also got a JV in the UAE and in Gujarat and India. Um, but the one, the careers in Australia, there's many people there that are 10, 15, 20 year veterans. And we've got one that's 30 something. Wow. So those guys all, um, are integral to that business and we've had to diversify out of marine and and particularly our industrial products that are used for flotation in dredging and mining and lots of things that nobody really hears a lot about. Okay. It's really important to make sure that you have all the skills on board that the day you do get that marina job we're still vertically integrated, the trucks and cranes and everything else can go to work and make it happen. Mm. So it's been a bit of a balancing act. And we're spoiled actually in Australia and New Zealand with the quality of wonderful um, marina builders for the industry. Yeah. There's, there's lots of choice. Yeah. And it's um, it's actually when I travel around the world and I've just been to thousands of marinas. Yes, I can imagine. And I think this area here has some of the best innovation and technology anywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah. And so tell me about how that diversification came about. Obviously you saw a need to to normalise your revenue so that it wasn't peaks and troughs and, and therefore causing you problems for employing the team. Did you um, seek... Um, advice from other industry or did you see a need and think, oh, we could do that or how did that come about? Um, I think that desire to not fail uh, meant that you had a very, you, you were highly motivated to find a revenue stream that was sustainable and it happened first of all in the plastics business and um, something I read somewhere once said that the day you should start thinking about um, how you're going to exit your business should be the day you buy it. And so I took that to heart. So instead of just putting the plastic stuff in with the marine stuff, they're separate companies. Okay. That means that there's lots more options in the future, whatever mm. happens. Mm. So here they are, little plastics company. How many customers? Superior jetties, that's it. <laughs> and one other, Riviera. Okay. And when the fire happened, they had one mould with us and we burnt it. Oh, no. It was squashed flat, <gasps> like this molten piece of aluminium. And I still remember going out to Riv and I just went, oh, look, I'm really sorry, but your mould doesn't exist anymore. Oh, my goodness, and that takes a big... And I said, but oh. we'll make you a new one and, you know, can we work together? And to their credit... They said, yes, we'll mm. wait. How long will it take you? And I said, I think we can do it in six weeks. And we actually took, there were a couple of other contract products and we went to other rotor molders and asked them to mold the product for our client for, for no profit. One guy was more than what I was charging, <laughs> which was funny. You'd been in the industry five minutes, yeah. burn the place down, ruin people's molds. <laughs> <laughs> and then I called up, I remember Lisa was at the Rotor Moulding Association, I called her up and I said, you don't know me but I'm about to become a member <laughs> but could I tap into your members and find someone to mould some products for me? 
And some of those oh people goodness. are still my friends to this day, those yeah. three moulders. Yeah, two of them are lifelong buddies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah you are a particularly resilient person, I think, <laughs> John. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so you've diversified to a plastics company. You've got your superior jetties. Is there any other areas you've done as well to... Um, didn't you do some um, water sport products for a while and all that sort of thing? Um, look, we've done a lot to do with jet ski docks and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but that that sort of becomes, you know, once somebody purchases a pontoon at their home, so very much, you know, there's 700 kilometres of waterfront on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And every 20 metres there's another house. Yeah. So, you know, even today there'd be less than 50% saturation with thousands and thousands of docks in people's backyards. Yeah. And as soon as they've got the dock, whether they've got a boat or not, there'll be to- water toys, be it kayaking, jet skis, tinnies, you know, rite of passage when the young fellas, 10, 11, 12, you know, boys and girls are in tinnies. Yes. And that's their bicycle that they're running around. Yeah. And once you've got that, you need the floating dock. Yeah. Because that's the safe, easy way to arrive and leave. From the dock. So that is a big advantage of you being where you are, isn't it? Oh, that's key. Yeah. I think if we were based anywhere else in the world, we would not be as effective. Um, it's sort of Australia's water sports playground. Yeah. It's probably akin to the intercoastal in Miami in the States. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the Gold Coast, um, so Bruce Small, I think, went over to Florida in the early days. Yeah. And that's why a lot of the suburbs have the same names. Yeah. It, it was built on that lifestyle yeah, and that's very much a part of what we have and it's done very well. Yeah. So tell me about some recent innovations you've done with your products that we need oh, to know about. You know I hate talking about products. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's what you do, darling. You're oh, supposed to tell everybody what you do. Yeah. Oh, we've got a web page for that. <laughs> Okay, what's the web page, John? Uh, superiorjetties.com. It's all there. <laughs> and the team do a great job of, you know, making that all happen and, and particularly, you know, with social media being, try and be interesting. Yes. And so I think I probably get the biggest kick out of rotor molding. Yeah. It's probably because it relates back to that making something with your hands. Yes. You make a mould and then... You know, so many things we're challenged in manufacturing in Australia because of our high labour rates. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're moulding, the labour content goes down and the very smart machine with the PLCs does all the hard work for you. So you're able to create something once and then make other versions of it forevermore. And so that was one thing very early on in our fabrication side of the business I had like this mantra that said, if you make it more than 10 times, never make it again, make a mould. So, you know, if you're making a fire hose reel cover, no, make a mould. If you're making a pit to go into the pontoon to run power and water uh, intersections, they were aluminium boxes, we made a mould. When you had to put a lid on top, we made a mould. And so you'll see little pieces all the way through our product range of uh, polyethylene rotor moulding, even the corners of every pontoon now, square and round corners, they're all rotor moulded. And um, that's a wonderful combination because 
polyethylene is very inert in salt water mm-hmm. and it's the ideal product with concrete as well. So it they really marry up together well. Mm-hmm. We're doing some really fun stuff with uh, the large super elite pontoons that we used at Southport Yacht Club for Australia's largest super yacht berth, 165 metres long. Oof. But that's actually got rotomold polyethylene voids into the concrete product to allow these massive bolts to hold the pontoons together. Wow. And uh, you wouldn't think that little old polyethylene, such a, a, a low, um, uh, it's a low tensile product. Yeah. But it's able to do the job until the concrete cures and then the concrete does the work. Uh-huh. It's really fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be a bit of a geek, I think, to get off on that stuff. But <laughs> engineers love it. <laughs> so if somebody's studying engineering at uni, then your space of work is is a great space for them to go into potentially then. Yeah, we've always done that. Um, I think because I had a second chance from a company that then sponsored me to learn, that was that one thing changed my life. Mm. So we've always had the same sort of program with our staff. If you want to study, we will support that. Um, and we also have the universities come and visit, particularly the, the design students, I think, in second year from Griffith. They always come and tour our rotor moulding facility because they're designing. They want them to, to be able to design in that genre. Um, and then we take graduates on as well. So we've usually always got one or two graduates each year that come. Like one guy came to us last year and it was just going to be holiday work. And so he did one holidays and then he came back the next holidays and then he said, oh, I'm actually building my own 3D printing machine. He bought a little one mm-hmm. and then he supersized it and made it bigger. And we said, well, here's a drawing of our new connection system. It would be really good if clients could see a 3D model of that. He went home. A week later he came back. He said something like this. He'd made it. Wow. He's just graduated just last week from uh, QUT. Yeah. And he's got a wonderful job. He's going to go and see the world. But, you know, that those are, that's very gratifying part of your career when yeah. you get the opportunity to see new dreams happening and people taking off. It's like uh, one of our apprentices, Robert, won the Apprentice of the Year yes. and went to Amsterdam. Yeah. Like he was working in the plastic factory. He wasn't even an apprentice. Yeah. He just said, do you think I could do an apprenticeship? Yeah. And we went, yeah. In boiler making? Yeah. So he changed out of the plastic shed into the metal shed, <laughs> went through, finished his time and... He's now got a crane ticket and a truck ticket and he's talking about buying a house. So, Amazing. you know, how cool is that? Yeah, yeah. It is, it is lovely to, when you own a business to to support people and, and see them progress and all those sorts of and things. And know their kids it? and yeah. where they went to school. And I think that's what small business is about. Mm. You know, we're very rooted in the community and and it's it's the best. I think it's actually a real privilege to be able to do that and we should never forget that, mm. that, that it's uh, all of the team together that creates it. Mm. Mm. 
And I remember, gosh, which that would, would have been in one of the marinas conference up in Queensland. And I remember this amazing blue lit up pontoon <laughs> out on the grass. Because you've always been a little bit different, John, with your presentations <laughs> at the uh, marinas conferences. Like the um, guerrilla marketing when we yeah. drove the truck and the, the crane truck. into the middle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've yeah, always, that was naughty. <laughs> you've always got our attention somehow, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. That was very funny. <laughs> that was one of those ask for forgiveness type deals. <laughs> it was on the Gold Coast. Jeez, it had to be done. <laughs> no, that was funny. The um, That was the waterscape. Yep. So waterscape was um, we were actually uh, one of the companies the Queensland Government took for their, it was a, prog- a program about being better by design and it actually came from New Zealand and that technology they took to Queensland to encourage companies to use design more on the front end of their products. So instead of engineers creating the products, which I was very good at creating products, 50% of which failed, <laughs> they encourage you to employ a designer and fail often and fail fast. Okay. And by doing that, they taught you how to take some photographs and tell a story, the story we just talked about, about leisure time, the people going boating. And then Dr. Sam Bukalo was our coach, who's, look him up, he's a great guy. He's in Sydney now, but he was in Brisbane then. A wonderful designer. And he came and did some of the first interviews with me and he'd just lay the photos out and interview our customers about what they loved what they truly loved. And he'd just put a photo out. Here's Tom. Tom's going to a boat show. Tom's going to buy a boat. Tom thinks he'll really love that. And then he just said to the customer, what's the last thing you bought that you really loved? And this customer said, well, my surfboard. I don't surf anymore, but I used to. I hang it in the garage because I love it. He says, I'm 56. He said, I can't stand up on it anymore, but I just love it. Yeah. And I just thought, what an intimate thing for a customer to tell you, all because this design process was happening before your eyes. And we just took notes from that and then took that back. And a wonderful designer, Alexander Lodestein, worked for two and a half years with his team and he created the 37-degree angle on the illuminated fenders with a special polymer that was created to be able to compress for that slowing down of the boat mm. and we put leds inside it's a it's a beautiful product mm-hmm. very expensive mm-hmm. um, and that's where we think we got the balance wrong we should have come up with um, a more affordable option for volume but it won a design award it won an international design award it was alex's first um, from um, design australia and that product is bought around the world. So it's now at Four Seasons in Hawaii. It's at uh, Eden Rock in St. Bart's in the Caribbean. We're about to send another one to the Caribbean. So it's not high volume, but it's it's like a halo. It's an attractor, isn't it's it? It's a halo product for the brand. Yeah. And it, I don't believe we've finished with what we can do with it either. I think if we can rejig the value proposition, watch this space. There's going to be some good stuff happen with that. Yeah. Yes. 
But yeah, there's not it's, it's not a bad thing to have a product that just really people see and and, and go, wow, what's that? Yeah. And they're attracted to your business and then you end up selling them something completely different. But it's it's got them to you, hasn't it? That's it. So yeah. if ever you dine on the veranda at uh, Southport Yacht Club, you'll see something glowing just off to the left. That's the water <laughs> That's <scan>. you. <laughs> it's a well, tunnel. Well, I, I remember it from that conference. Yes. You know, it was a real, I remember it so distinctly. And Leo talking to me, Leo, Leo isn't it, at the time, was talking to me about it yeah. and and um, I thought, wow, that's really different and it's really, really cool. It is beautiful. So I've always remembered that product mm. from that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, really, really, really interesting. It's nice to see illumination coming into the, the product. Like there's some beautiful marinas now that, you know, under the whaler they're putting soft LEDs. We're seeing even uh, domestic clients doing it at home. Just beautiful. Well, lighting Actually, makes such a difference to design, doesn't it? I had a call yesterday from a client and mm. he just bought the best, our Black Series, beautiful, not a big pontoon, but it was as much as he was allowed at his home and he wants to illuminate it now. He didn't then, but now he does. And he said, now, do you need to do it or I've got this LED guy? And I says, no, oh, yes, your guy, but make sure you do these things around salt water. But his first thing, I said, hi, how are you? <laughs> I said, is everything okay? Because I didn't expect a call from him. He goes, oh, yes, I love it. He said, I go down there every night and roll around naked on it. He goes. <laughs> oh, that's burned on everybody's yes. uh, <laughs> <for> now image. <laughs> I wonder what they're imagining, what sort of person. <laughs> he is funny. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so what's your... Um, I guess what's the favourite thing for you about what you do? That's a good question. I think um, I love helping people and um, I know particularly from, you know, some of the stuff even here in this conference we've talked about, the blue mind and the serotonin and peace and relaxation of being by the water and how it can be healing. Um, I think if we can help people experience that and we produce the bridge from land to water, we, we make it easy and safe for you to approach that wonderful world of water. And uh, I've experienced that and I want to share it with others. Mm. That's lovely. What a wonderful way to finish. Thanks. <laughs> thank you so much, You're very much, good at John. this. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're, um, <laughs> you do this. You're easy to talk to. Thank you. <laughs> well, we've been mates for a while. Hey, yeah. too. That always helps. But, um, but I, do, I do like to, I guess, get to people's why in their business, you know, because that's actually the, the fundamental of yeah of why we do what we do and and that is in as us in the boating industry that is why we do what we do we want people to enjoy the water we want people to feel that blue mind we want people to have that part of their lives that is a complete juxtaposition to the busy screen filled lives that we all live now yeah 
Yeah. So, and you're providing that, as you say, making it easier for them from going from land to water. Mm. Yeah. And that is, it really is the key of it. Like our, uh, our mission statement says that, you know, we, we uh, create sustainable ways for people to um, be able to work, live and play. And, and that's what it's all about really is building that bridge. Mm. And uh, I've, I hadn't actually been asked that directly until you did just now and it made me, uh, I had to just stop for a minute, but it, it is that, that is the, that's the mission statement of the company, which is the same as my personal desire, yeah. Mm. So it's good. Wonderful. Mm. So Thank if you. people want to get in touch and want, buy one of those Blue Wonders. <laughs> <laughs> we are How do they get in on touch? the Gold Coast. We're, in, we're on all the socials at superiorjetties.com. We're on Instagram at superiorjetties. Um, and we're also on Facebook. You can drop us a line on Facebook and I think a bot will answer you and then a human soon after. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> really funny. I watched it and if a human hasn't followed up the bot, I get cranky. <laughs> no, but it's, um, yeah, we're, we're um, available anywhere in the world. Yeah, That's you part of supply all over the world, don't you? Yep, anywhere. Yeah. And if one of our channels doesn't do it best, we'll put it in a container from Australia and make it happen for you. And we've installed in the Seychelles and in South America and all all places you'd never imagine you would ever go. Tough site visits. And, um, yeah, <laughs> we've had a, we had a guy standing on a pontoon with a shotgun in Cooktown to keep the crocs away. Like, I mean, jeez. And the locals going, oh, that'd be right, I've got a gun, you know. <laughs> I don't think we're getting in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but that's half the fun of it. Yeah. You know, being able to uh, anticipate what is going to happen in a remote region, send it off into the jungle and then make it happen. Yeah. What's yeah. the most unusual place you've been? Or the most wow. memorable maybe? I um, I went to Indonesia to the Riau Islands. Uh, I had a couple of very interesting trips in Indonesia but this one, you flew into Singapore, went across to Batam, got on a ferry, and the ferry just kept going and going and going up to the Real Islands, which had half a million people live in this archipelago and about 20 cars and lots of scooters. <laughs> uh, but I don't think I'd ever seen poverty quite like it. People were happy, but they didn't have a lot. And there'd been many structures built for these wooden vessels to do all trade, to go to school, to do everything. And I have a photograph of a little girl going to school and she's wearing the hijab and she's jumping from one boat to the other to get to the dock. And a policeman's got his hand out to catch her. Wow. And... If she falls, it, it's like so dangerous. And I, yeah. at that moment, on that day, I went, you know, we, we really need to do better. And like for us it might be relaxation boating, but for them that's that's your livelihood. Yeah. That's, that's living a safe life. And um, 
we stopped for lunch next to a boat in the jungle and they handed us a banana leaf with a, a, a piece of chicken in it. And it was basically the bones of the chicken with none of the really fleshy bits that we've got used to where you yeah. just eat the breast and you ignore the, the cage. It was the cage. And I sort of went, this is really different. Mm. I'm in the middle of nowhere where there's a real need for what we do and a totally different standard of living to what we're used to. And I think sometimes when you get a little bit off the beaten track and out of your comfort zone, there's that realisation of, you know, that you should be so thankful for what everything that we've been blessed with just because of where we were born. And we have a duty to do better with that. Mm. Changes your perspective, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And as they say, change only occurs when you're at the end of your comfort zone. Mm. Very true. Mm. So good to talk to you, John. Likewise. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. That's John Hogan from Superior Jetties, another amazing episode of the Boat Princess podcast. We will see you on the water soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you'd like to know more about what I do and where I am, then you can follow me on Instagram at The Boat Princess. You can also sign up to my newsletter on my website, which is theboatprincess.com. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and hopefully we'll see you on the water soon.